And I think like you said, if, if you look at your role as PT is maybe higher than what you thought it could be. Um, you, your potential is higher. Try to move and push the limit to what our top scope could be. Um, yeah, I think that's that's something we can all do. So try to improve your skills, your knowledge, and uh, don't shy down from the, the knowledge that you do have. Rebecca Griffith, and you're in the ED now, a podcast designed to help you be an excellent physical therapist in the emergency department. Today on this episode, we talk with Dr. Seth Peterson, who is here to talk to us as an outpatient private practice owner. And how does that even fit into the emergency department? Well, you'll listen to find out. He's going to talk to you about digital triage to help keep patients out of the emergency department and how you can integrate that into your business model, how to do some differential diagnosis, medical screening appropriately, and then how to make appropriate referrals, whether you're in the emergency department or outside of it to provide the most effective care and support for your patients. I hope you'll take a listen. You're in the ED now. Okay, Dr. Peterson, welcome to the show. You're in the ED now. It's so nice to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself before we get started. Yeah, thanks for having me, Rebecca. Um, So I am a full-time clinician um, and private practice owner. I own the Motive Physical Therapy in Oro Valley, Arizona. Um, I started that back in 2019. Uh, let's see, what do I do? I occasionally like to write for fun. I also have graduated from residency, AT Still University. Uh, shout out to them. I think it's a great orthopedic residency. And then I went on to a fellowship program after that uh, through Evidence in Motion, uh, what is now Bellin College. And so that's kind of my, my background. Um, I think I've had uh, quite a bit of an interest in in various topics around direct access differential diagnosis since uh, kind of even a little bit before starting my own practice. And because I think the area that that I'm in, we do see quite a few patients through direct access. So, so I've had to stand my toes and that was just an area that I always felt like I, I wanted to improve in. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit of my background and I think why why I'm here talking with you. So if people are listening and they're like, hey, this podcast is about how to be an amazing emergency department physical therapist, and, and they're like, you own a private practice, why are you here? Like, what do you, ha- what, what do you have to contribute? Because one thing that you and I have talked about is one of the best ways we can serve our patients is to keep them out of the emergency department, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think we should all, I think even outpatient physical therapists, people in private practice should know what PTs in the ED do but also vice versa, because you guys are going to be, you know, potentially referring to physical therapists out in an outpatient setting, but there's a huge amount of crossover. I mean, you know, you guys have to do things that we don't have to do. And Mm -hmm. we do things that you guys don't do like the follow-up visits that we see people for extended periods of time in, but then there's this huge area of crossover um, for new evaluations and differential diagnosis that I think we can learn from each other at. I totally agree with you. I think definitely lots of things I want to ask you about today. Um, because of that, one one thing that I don't do, like my plan of care and your plan of care are probably 180 degrees different. But before we dive into that, one of the things that you and I definitely agree on is that outpatient PTs have this huge role to play in helping prevent patients from going to the emergency department, whether that's through access to outpatient services 
or through actually helping guide patients on whether they should be going to the emergency department. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, I think just in general, that's a role that outpatient physical therapists have that maybe they don't know that they have. Hmm. So we have patients all the time that um, maybe will be in acute pain, for example, and then you might be the one deciding do, is it appropriate? And I think this is something outpatient PTs do consciously. Like, is this something that I'm going to treat? Or is this a person that I should refer somewhere else? And if I do, where do I send them? But I think we can also help to inoculate patients a little bit about what happens. Like when we discharge someone, what happens after that? Where should you seek care? And there's a, I think there's a certain role that we can play there, but then there's also this maybe a step beyond that, that I think we can go and maybe a role that, that uh, PTs can kind of fill in, in terms of helping patients a little more directly. So like, I know we've talked about this idea of digital PT triage, Mm -hmm. where I think we can use telehealth. Like my clinic has kind of thrown this out and I admit maybe not as, um, we are so full right now. So we haven't marketed this as much as we could have, but we have this available to patients that we've used a few times where if they call my clinic, we can set up an emergency consultation uh, over telehealth. So I can see the patient. I can talk to them if they're, if they have a problem that they think is a musculoskeletal problem and they're not sure if they should go to the ED. So at that point I can help triage them. Is this an appropriate scenario? Hey, I agree with you. I think you should go to the ED. And then you can take, you know, a step further beyond that. This is the closest ED. This is the you know, my understanding of local hospitals, this is the best place for you to go. This is how to get there if they have issues with transportation. Um, So that's a little bit, uh, maybe a step further than most PTs have to go. But I think there's also this inoculation that can happen with every outpatient physical therapist. So what you're saying is you're secretly an emergency physical therapist after all. Oof, I don't know if I'd go that far. I'm mean, talk to you about some of the stuff you see. It's like, oof. But that's yeah. a high-level decision-making process, right? Where you're actually taking on that role of a physical therapist who is performing triage. And I think that is a top-of-scope type of care and service that you're providing to your patients. I would also argue that that might increase your business as well, yeah? Yeah, and I think it's an example where, you know, I think maybe this is my own soapbox, but hospitals are not helping the healthcare situation by, you know, by and large through some of the practices that they do and uh, patients, doctors don't like their patients to go to the ED either. I mean, so if you can keep them out of there, doctors like that, but I don't think PTs that are doing this necessarily have to be diagnosing the patient. It's just, Hey, is this something that I see every day? Or is this something that, eh, I don't feel comfortable. Maybe you should, uh, And even, you know, in an emergency setting, you can still urgent care might still fit into that. And maybe you can still say, okay, I think based on what I'm hearing, urgent care might still be okay for you. Well, and I think truly, like, you're not doing anything different than you would if this patient came into your clinic, right? Like, you're still making those same decisions. You're just making them in an urgent, on an urgent basis, and you're making them over telehealth. Right, exactly. It's the same as what you would normally do anyway. So I think as direct access providers and doctors of physical therapy, we need to be capable of making those referral decisions and deciding what is the next best thing for our patients. Yeah, absolutely. Now, if there's a physical therapist out there who's like, yeah, I don't feel comfortable with that. 
Like that makes me really uncomfortable to be making decisions about where patients go for their care, especially if the, the patient feels like it might be an emergency. What would you say to that? I'd say, yeah, if you don't feel comfortable, I, I wouldn't do it. But I think there's some resources that you can, you know, access. You should read up on some stuff. There are courses. You know, we, I have the movement brain racing continuing education course. We have a primary care PT course where we, we dive a lot into differential diagnosis. There are some other great courses there where you can maybe hone in your differential diagnosis a little bit better. And, and not just that, but also that step that I didn't feel the most confident in as a new grad, which is like, what's the, what action do you take? You might yes. have a sense of what the diagnosis is, but then what do you do? So feeling more confident is just, you know, improving your, your, your knowledge and then talking to people about it. And then in the meantime, yeah, if you don't feel comfortable, I think it's perfectly fine and, and probably a good thing to let someone else handle it. Okay. So what skills do you think that PTs need to like maybe uptrain in order to feel comfortable making decisions like this? Well, I think it helps to know a little bit about, first of all, we, I talked about differential diagnosis. I think understanding that that's kind of basic in the sense that it's something we learn in PT school, but you can, the things that you're going to see, I think once you get a little experience understanding those things, and then that, that next level, I think, is maybe where the confidence breaks down, like, okay, what do I do? So that filling in the gap of like, what, what action should you take? So there are a whole bunch of things we can talk later about as far as referral, but then understanding a little bit about the settings that you're going to refer into, I think really helps. Yes. So like, so nope. like what, what's going to happen when you send someone to an urgent care and what are the urgent care people used to seeing? And what if you can you call up a cardiologist and what's the outcome? Can you get usually in this particular office in your community is this you know, relationship that you have with this cardiologist? Will they be able to see that person urgently that day or the next day? Uh, or if you say, all right, I got to send them to the ED. What can you do so that when someone shows up and Rebecca ends up seeing the person, how can I help convey that information to Rebecca or help them convey that information? So I was at an event at CSM and there was a gentleman who said, well, when I send my patients to the emergency department, I tell them to crawl in and tell them that they can't use their leg so that they're taken more seriously and they might get advanced imaging. Now, I felt like there were many things wrong with that, including like maybe just have the patient give their proper history and symptoms that they're presenting with. So what are best ways as strategies that you would suggest PTs prepare their patients to go to the emergency department so that their concerns are taken seriously, but that perhaps we're not adding a little bit of drama that we don't need to add? Yeah. I mean, having some empathy for people in the ED, I mean, what are, they have a tough job and they're also smart people and they have things that they're looking for. And so telling the patient to highlight specific things like maybe don't spend that much time talking about this you know susan spend a little bit more time talking about this symptom that you have because i know that that symptom is something that they're looking for to cue in on so understanding a little bit about that when it i think we can do that when it comes to musculoskeletal diagnoses and maybe as we move further out i think we should still understand kind of 
the basics about certain conditions, like what symptoms should you look out for, for a heart attack and things like that, and tell them to communicate those things. But yeah, admittedly, there are some things that, you know, maybe it's unreasonable if I'm playing devil's advocate that every PT should, should understand. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think also if you have some concerns, like writing those concerns out and giving that to the patient and saying, hey, you know, give this to the emergency doctor, tell them this was the exam that I performed. And you can like even star items that you're really concerned about. I think that communication goes a long way. I do see patients that are brought to the emergency department from our outpatient clinic. If there was an event that occurred in the clinic or things like that. The other thing that I try to do is, Seth, if you send a patient to me in the emergency department, I try to contact you and let you know what the outcome was. So I had a patient this week who was seeing one of our outpatient therapists for um, fall risk related to Parkinson's disease. And that patient actually did come to the emergency department due to multiple falls in a like very short period of time. And the patient was okay, happily, and everything in his plan of care from the outpatient PT looked really great. And there were just some extenuating circumstances that had led him to these, these particular falls. But I was able to then reach back out to that PT and say, hey, these were the circumstances of the falls. These were the tests that were performed here. This is how he was presenting to me. Just so you're prepared when he comes in on Friday, he may need a reevaluation from you rather than just a treatment. He may actually need like a reassessment. And so I, I love that communication with PTs. So if you are sending a patient in, if there's a way we can contact you, having that information is helpful as well. No, I love that. I think it would just be so much easier if we could communicate more easily amongst ourselves. Yes. Like every every PT that I would ever refer to, I have their phone number, but it would be great. I have a few physician phone numbers and they love it, but I think the reason their numbers don't get out is so that they don't get like, it doesn't end up somewhere and they don't get spam calls and stuff, but they love it really if you communicate. I think we all kind of do. Um, yeah. And home health therapists are the same. I like to reach back out to a home health therapist, particularly if I need to elevate that patient to a higher level of care. Yeah. Yeah. And we talked about this a little bit like this, this SVAR format. I think that's another thing, like you said, you sometimes use that. Um, It's an acronym that stands for situation, background, assessment, and, uh, I'm blanking on, on recommendation, recommendation. Recommendation. Yep. You got it. So then you, if you can lay that out quickly, to somebody, I think that's in practicing that, I think that can help communicate important information like we talked about or writing it out. And Mm -hmm. here's a note to take with you to the ED. I think that's really helpful. And I also think preparing your patient when you do send them to the emergency department for what to expect and not to give them unrealistic expectations. I'm sending you to the emergency department for an MRI. Please don't. They are very unlikely to get that, um, especially in an emergency type situation, please let them know that they'll be evaluated and assessed and that the team in the emergency department will do what they feel like is medically necessary based on their evaluation. But what I see the most are patients who are really upset, not because of the care they're getting, but the care they thought they would get. And so if a patient expects to get an MRI and they came from their physical therapist and here comes another physical therapist, like they're frustrated. They're like, why did I get sent here? So I, I can understand that frustration, but just preparing them to know that don't promise anything to patients and let them know how it might go, how long they might have to wait, whether or not you think their con- their concern is actually emergent or if it could be better managed somewhere else, which I think are also helpful things. Yeah, I do. If I, if I sense that someone really wants to go to the ED and maybe that isn't necessary, I 
sometimes will talk to them like, you know, the reality of it, right? Like this doesn't seem like they're probably not going to recognize this as an emergency situation. So you're going to be there a while. Yeah. Things like that. They might back off a little. Yeah. And you might not get that test and they, they probably won't figure out what's going on today. Like it's, it's not the place where all the medical mysteries are solved. It's the place where we just make sure you're okay and send you back home so that you can follow up with people who, who can do that. But I think right now in the setting of limited access to care, it's been a lot more difficult for patients to be patient and wait to get that, that um, service that they need. So when we're talking about referring to outpatient, because that's something I do all day long when I see patients is that I actually want to refer to clinics like yours, but you said, Oh, you know, we're pretty full already. So how do I best advocate for my patients to get follow-up care so that they don't end up back in the emergency department while they're waiting for decreased access to care? Yeah, well, we do have, I mean, we have kind of a, an understanding in our clinic where we try to, I guess in a sense we're triaging or organizing the, the importance of getting people on the schedule. So if someone communicates to me from, you know, a doctor's office or a personal trainer or a physical therapy clinic and says, Hey, this person really needs to be seen. We, we can make that happen. And so I think that's usually, I would hope the case where if you contact a PT clinic, hopefully they can, you know, the director of that clinic can find a way to get that person seen. Uh, if not, I think we should probably all, try to find a way to kind of have that pipeline in our clinics. Yeah. And I think in, in a lot of cases, the wait for patients can be three to four weeks sometimes to get an appointment or by the time their insurance authorization goes through and, and things like that. So it can be very frustrating. The other barrier that we run into when trying to partner with outpatient clinics is a lot of our patients are uninsured or underinsured. And so physical therapy is kind of a luxury for them. Do you have any suggestions on how to help patients connect with maybe the best provider for them in those situations? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's tough. It totally, I mean, when it comes to insurance and how are you, is that kind of what you're asking? Like, how do you identify yeah. the, the best provider? Yeah. Like how do I find resources? Like, are there clinics that do pro bono services? Are there clinics that are easily identifiable as places that will accept patients with Medicaid? How do I find clinics that will take my patients who are unhoused? Like how do I find the resources for these patients who desperately need it so that they don't continue coming to the emergency department for care that could easily be provided on an outpatient basis? Yeah. I think if you're doing it, it's pretty, simple. I mean, to, to communicate with you, if you, if you go to their clinic website, most places will have some webpage where they talk about which, which insurances they, they uh, accept or have contract with. And otherwise for the patients, usually it just has to come down to, all right, you know, understanding that not every clinic is going to bill your insurance or have a contract with it. And so this is what you do. Usually if you can this again with health literacy, this is such a challenge, but exactly. To understand exactly. How because do they I probably get... wouldn't be in the ED in the first place, right? If they had like great health literacy and understood their resources and had access to them. So that's my that's my problem. Yeah. The health literacy thing is just, I mean, I wish I had an answer for that. <laughs> but like, yeah, you can go to your if they can understand, they have access to a computer and the internet. Like you can go to your the website of your insurance company usually have a list of, of who you contract with. But yeah, I mean, I mean, beyond that, it's, there's so many like multi-layered 
challenges when it comes to things like health literacy and yeah. socioeconomic status. It's just tough. I think it, one thing that would be helpful, um, especially for our outpatient clinics that are in the area, is maybe if we could like find a way to like build a resource list for of clinics that are willing to provide some discounted services or have somebody that can help people walk through that process a little bit. I think that would be if people are looking for a way to partner with their local emergency departments as small business owners, that might be a good place for them to start is to reach out and say, hey. I am willing to take these patients at discounted price. I'm willing to provide services. These are services that I offer. I have patient or PTs here that don't, that do speak another language, like resources like that would be very helpful for like bridging that gap between the emergency department and the outpatient clinic. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree how to make that, that happen. Yeah. I think that would be a good idea. Do you have any ideas like, you know, you're in ED, what would, what would you want? What sort of, um, what, what would help you the most? And like a little, yeah. Do you have any ideas? I think one thing that would be amazing is like more community presence of PTs that are out in their communities. Yeah. So one of the things that, that we're going to talk about is medical screening, right. And like providing that like screening and that like health literacy and that connection with your community so that your community knows that you're available to provide these services to them. Because again, the most helpful thing that you can do is to help keep patients out of the hospital system in the first place. It's better for the patient. It's better for access issues. It's better resource allocation. But if we're not present in our communities, I don't know how patients know how to find us. What do you think about that? Like, is that even feasible in the type of setting that you're in to be able to, to go out into your community, to educate the community, provide like these screenings to patients to help improve their health literacy, to help with some health promotion, things like that. Yeah. I mean, it's totally, it's totally possible. The clinics have to be motivated to do it and see the value in it. So there are a lot of the clinics that uh, contract with insurers and uh, are chock full they might not see the value and okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take time out of the clinic a day to go down and talk about how we're going to give away free or, you know, highly discounted services when we're already so full that we don't know what to do with our schedule. Yeah. But I, and think, then there's all this conversation about how there's too many PTs. But I think I kind of agree with you or like the history. If you look at PTs, uh, we've always kind of been under the wing of physicians and, I think like if you talk to most people are more aware of chiropractors than they are physical therapists. And I think that's because chiropractors have been going out into the community and talking to people and going to health fairs and doing all these sorts of things, going direct to patients. Yes. So I'd love for us to do more of that. And each time a PT does that, it doesn't just help them, but I think it helps physical therapy in general. So yeah. I'd love for them to, to see it that way. I think one thing that I see in the emergency department a lot is musculoskeletal chest wall pain. And the reason for that is there's the public health campaign around if you have chest pain, you should go to the emergency department has been very successful. So uh, we'll see a tremendous number of patients who are coming in because they have chest pain, whether in the front or the back. And it's usually like, you know, chest wall issue or a thoracic issue, um, scapulothoracic pain that's like bothering them. But they're very concerned that they're having a cardiac event because that's been a very like successful yeah. push. So how do we have that same level of like public awareness around if you have low back pain, you need to go see a physical therapist and not come to the emergency department? I think, well, if we have to go through the avenue like of, of 
of these big media campaigns. I think that's one thing that PTs don't necessarily understand. It's a lot of money. Like we have spent a lot of, the APTA has spent a lot of money and time and resources and put stuff into this Choose PT campaign and it's won awards. But like, if you talk to most people, they haven't, I think patients, they haven't seen it. So I think it's, it's making, I, I suppose it's making a small impact, but we just don't have, I mean, we don't have the same resources as, you know, other, other people have had to go out and, and have a commercial that everyone sees multiple times a day. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. I think the only thing that keeps coming back into my head is like, well, we can do grassroots. We can get out and talk to every single patient that we can and go to all these community events and let people know about us and make a difference and educate every patient that leaves. Um, that's probably the f- best we got. That's going to make the fastest change, I think. Well, I think you and I are probably on the same page about primary care PT being a a way to address that as well, right? That we're developing these ongoing relationships with patients so that they know you. They know that Dr. Seth Peterson is the person that I'm going to see for any of these conditions because I have a relationship with him. He knows my body. He knows how to help me manage these concerns. He's helping guide me with my medical considerations that are impacting my mobility so that the end result is ongoing health and wellness. So what are your thoughts about like that primary care PT role and helping to address some of this? Right. Yeah. I think that's where PTs need to go really. I mean, I think we can, we can make such a big uh, difference and impact in people's lives and really is rewarding to have that as a PT that's been in a community now for 10 years to, to be able to, to see a person throughout like multiple episodes of the same musculoskeletal condition or different musculoskeletal conditions and kind of see how it evolves over time. I mean, that's like gold in terms of improving your clinical practice and your pattern recognition and to understand how a problem evolves over time. And maybe we don't talk about that as much, that that's, that's really useful to improve your own skills, to see that and kind of be in one place. But it's also, I think it's rewarding to be, have these ongoing relationships with people and, uh, and their families. And I mean, that's just, uh, I think that's, that's priceless. And that I think is how you build that expertise and that trust and that preferred provider status, right? Like, because you're there to guide them through all of those life events, they know they can bring their family to you. They know that you're the one to help them. And we've all had those situations, right? Where someone's like, oh, I've never, I didn't know PTs could do this, or I didn't know PTs (laughs) PTs could, I did such thorough examinations. And part of me is like, oh my gosh, all the other PTs are failing. And the other part's like, all right, well, it's on me to, to change this. So. Well, I think that's especially true in the emergency department. You walk into a room and a patient's there with like debilitating vertigo and they're vomiting and they're like, I don't want to see a physical therapist. Like it's oh, like yeah. the last thing on their mind. Like they're like, I am actively vomiting. I'm not exercising right now. You know, they're like, why would you even be in here? I'm they sure think you're going to have them do squats. Yeah, like, I'm not, let me pull in my portable squat rack and let's practice our deadlifts, you know, and, but so they just don't understand. But then when you're actually the one that can fix them, I think that's how you get that word of mouth going. And that's how you get that, like, oh, a physical therapist is the one that helped fix me in this particular situation. So last thing I want to ask you about, you have an article coming out about referrals and how to kind of manage that as physical therapists. What would you tell people about that? Yeah, we've kind of been alluding to this. I think this is such an interesting thing because I was 
you know, I like I talked about where you know we teach this a couple times a year, this primary care course, and and uh, I was sitting there like, well, how can we better talk about action? Like I was alluding to, like how do what do you people do, and how do we teach people to to think about that? Really, so I look into it. Maybe there's got to have been some papers written. Almost nothing in PT. If you look at the history, it's kind of clear why. Like PTs just referred back to the physician. And that's pretty much all that we talk about. And even when I was going through PT school, really not that long ago, it was always talked about like your options are to treat, treat and refer or refer. Yes. And, that's the and end I still of the talk discussion. about that. Yeah. I still <laughs> talk about that with students. Like, but how and when and where do you refer people? That's like, that's like game over. So that you, I think you can start to think beyond that. Like, okay, if you decide refer, then what do you do? So I think you kind of understand what to do, but I don't think, I think we need to talk about it out loud for the other people. So just some of the things we, we talked about, there are different types of referrals. We talked about that in this paper where, you know, if, if I think it's an important thing to communicate to the provider. So we have a little figure in there. I, th I think this might be a useful way to think about it, where the, the key components would be one partner with the patient and their family. So if, communicate with them what the options are to access care. You know, do you, what do you want to do? Do you want to go to the urgent care? Do you want to wait a couple of days? Maybe I think you can get in with your cardiologist. What would you like me to communicate with them? Here are the pros and cons. What's easiest for you in terms of transportation? You figure out an idea. Let's say you decide you're going to refer to uh, their, their cardiologist. And then you send a, I think it's helpful in a situation especially if it's someone that hasn't seen them before to send over a referral form. And in the paper, we actually have a template that people can use in their practice where you communicate what's, what are you looking for out of the referral? So are you looking for now this person came in with chest pain and you're referring them to be managed by the cardiologist or are you referring them to, for, you know, a, a diagnostic help from the cardiologist or, or maybe you're referring them to someone to request an image. And so you need to communicate why you're referring them. And then we talked about the SBAR format as kind of a useful way to communicate some, some key information. And then try and, like you talked about, you did, Rebecca, where you kind of close the circle and you communicate with them. And then follow-up kind of occurs over time. So you have that care continuity over time. And that can help strengthen these relationships we've been talking about, not just with you and the patient over time, but also with you and these providers, which you might need to call on as a resource in the future. So I love that. I love so many things about that. I love that there's like a purpose-driven referral, that that way the patient knows why they're being referred, the provider knows why they're being referred, and you're developing a relationship and making community resources that you have to refer patients to as well. Because I think sometimes I think why we're taught, like just refer back to the PCP, the PCP will manage it. Like the PCP is this magical cruise director that has nothing but time to like sort this out. If we're really doctors who are managing our patients' conditions, I think it's incumbent upon us to like know why we're referring, know who to refer that patient to and streamline that process. Because if that patient goes back to the PCP or can't get in for six weeks and then their PCP is like, okay, I guess I'll send you to the cardiologist. That's another six weeks from now. We've really kind of delayed care for that patient and maybe to adverse events. 
Right. So like the types of referrals we, we talk about are this cognitive consultation. Are you looking for their information, their input? That's it. Or is it a procedural consultation? Like you're asking them to do a procedure. You're referring into a neurologist for a nerve conduction velocity test or something like that. Are you expecting them to co-manage? And there are two different types there. Like, are you expecting mm. now they're going to come in and they're going to share this patient with you? So I, I, I'm mostly in the ortho world. And so when you refer to a surgeon, I think maybe that's sometimes where there's this conflict. Like, are you still expecting that you're going to treat the patient and the surgeon's going to help out with other things? Or are you referring them to take over responsibility of that condition after that point? So I think communicating that is something. And this is all information. You know, like I said, it's crazy that we, we don't really talk about this because it's been communicated this way in, in like the primary care world for, you know, 50 plus years. I mean, just these keys that we took to develop this paper. So I think it, I think there are times when we feel super comfortable with it, right? Like I feel very comfortable, like saying, I need an occupational therapist. This is what I need the occupational therapist for. I expect to co-manage you with the occupational therapist, you know, to an intended outcome, yeah. case management, social work. I think all of those things feel like they're very solidly in our wheelhouse, but we need to kind of level up and realize that we need to be at this same level with all of these other providers and that we're not down here. We're up here too. And so we need to like collaborate for the best care for a patient. And so if you are listening to this and you're an emergency PT, everything that Seth just said totally applies to how we make referrals within the emergency department as well. So I'm going to come out of a room. I'm going to say, hey, like, I think this patient has a fracture. I'm going to recommend this type of imaging. And then I think we should consult orthopedics. I will continue to manage this patient until there's a resolution at the end and the patient's able to be discharged, depending on the plan of care. There are other times where I evaluate a patient and I'm like, this is not a physical therapy issue. Because I think another skill set that we have that we forget about is knowing what's in our scope. I can tell you if I go in and evaluate a patient, if this is a physical therapy problem or not. So a patient might come to me for low back pain and upon evaluating them, I'm like, this is this is clearly probably a visceral issue or this is an infectious process. This is something that I need to not be involved in. I'm going to refer you to this provider and I'm going to exit this plan of care. If I need to reintegrate myself at a later time, which I had a case with a patient who clearly did not have ostensibly a musculoskeletal type reason for her back pain, I referred her for abdominal imaging. They found metastatic peritoneal cancer, but incidentally, they also found a, um, an insidious compression fracture that was related to metastases. And so I was brought back into that plan of care for bracing and some other things. But in that case, it truly was like a refer this patient for the care that they needed, even if I got involved back at the other end. So I think the only difference between what you're saying and what we do is that we have access to all of those providers right now. Yeah. Very, very cool. It is. Yeah. You can just walk down the hallway. I'm, I'm sure. Yes. But we do still have those growing pains of like building that trust, building that connection, being taken seriously. Like if we walk out and we're like, everything's a red flag, everything is awful. They're going to kind of stop consulting us until we can kind of evaluate appropriately when we're not being alarmed by everything. And so I think it does take a while with any provider and any person that you're going to refer to, to really build that trust and build that communication so that you can have those relationships for your patients. 
Yes, for sure. I mean, I think we, the confidence thing is definitely something that that we need to step up in. And part of the reason that that I also kind of wanted to, to to go into this realm of where we do kind of think of our relationship as being on an equal. Um, we are, if we're going to say we're experts in the movement system, we got to be experts in the movement system, and we got to know when to refer people, and we got to know, you know, we, maybe we don't treat every single problem, but we are really good at the problems we do treat. I love that. That's absolutely perfect. So if people want to find out more about your courses and like how to level up a little bit so they, they could provide primary care PT, they're comfortable providing referrals, they're ready to, to, their clinic is like, let's do this digital triage and help our community. What do you suggest? How do they find you? Uh, yeah. So the Movement Brainery is the continuing education company. It's the movementbrainery.com. A couple times a year, we have a primary care PT course. If you feel like maybe you're, you're earlier in, in your career and need more of a basic clinical reasoning framework, we have a six-month mentorship program that usually starts in August. Uh, so those are two things to look at. Um, again, movementbrainery.com. Instagram is at the movementbrainery, and uh, we have a Facebook page. And then there's a Facebook group that we have called Mindful Clinicians, and that's just a good place if you have cases that you want to post and share. They're amazing, you know, award-winning PTs uh, that are in that group. So it's just a great little group to bounce ideas off of. I love that. Any parting thoughts for people who have listened to this episode and are like, wow, like what's next? No, I think like you said, if you look at your role as PT is maybe higher than what you thought it could be. Um, mm-hmm. you, your potential is higher. Try to move and push the limit to what our top of scope could be. Um, yeah, I think that's that's something we can all do. So try to improve your skills, your knowledge, and uh, don't shy down from the, the knowledge that you do have. Perfect. Thank you so much for being with us. You're in the ED now, and Seth, you're officially discharged. Thanks, Rebecca. Appreciate you. <laughs>